Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already so you do not miss another episode of the show. My guest today is Phil Laboon. Phil is the CEO and founder of iFlow Marketing, a digital marketing agency that's been here basically from the jump. Started 15 years ago, focused on SEO, and is currently expanding outward to help brands market themselves in this digital world. Phil is not limited, though, to being an internet marketer. He has started many companies, real estate development deals, does a ton of great charitable work here in Pittsburgh, and is an all-around interesting and fascinating guy. Was really excited to be able to lock him down and get his undivided attention for 30 minutes while we did this interview. So I really put a lot of research into it and know that you are going to value from it. So please pay close attention to my interview with Phil Laboon. busy dude. I think uh, my guests fall on different spectrums. You know, you kind of realize someone doesn't have a lot going on when I talk to them about coming on the show and they're like, let's do it tomorrow or later this week. And then you're on the opposite of the spectrum because I feel like I've been chasing around for like six months to finally get this interview on the books. I've been a busy guy. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, you do a bunch. You run a digital marketing agency. You're on the Young Entrepreneurs Council. You host Pittsburgh Tech Talk. Do your fair share of charitable work, real estate development, have your hands in 20 different pots. So I kind of wanted to start off by just asking you, is this something just kind of a way you've always been wired or what leads someone to be, like I said, just use the same analogy, dipping your hand in so many pots? I think it's definitely in the DNA. I've been like this since a kid. I was always hustling. I remember when I was young, um, even in elementary school, I was selling candy, like hard candies, warheads. I remember wanted to buy a new game so I could rent it out. Like I remember like this is when Blockbuster, a lot of people may not remember this, younger generations, but you just have to go rent these games. And everyone wanted this one game called uh, The Cool Spot. It was like Sprite. And I remember as a kid, I want to buy that game. And then I started running it out to people. And I think that's always been my mindset is to um, – I just enjoy business. I enjoy sales. I enjoy building startups, even if a startup is as simple as selling snack cakes in high school for the ultimate Frisbee team and how to get around the rules and regulations to do that. I mean – that's, I think it's been in my DNA because I've never known anything other than that. You've started a number of businesses and iFlow, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of one of the, maybe the central pillar of the businesses that you've started. It's been around for over a decade, which is pretty significant for a digital marketing agency. Was that your first business or did you start somewhere else? Uh, so yeah, actually 15 years. So a decade and a half. Yeah. Um, and let me see, that was, I mean, technically it was probably the first corporation, but before that, I always had a hustle. I was importing Red Bull straight from Thailand um, and selling it until Red Bull actually approached me. And apparently there's like advertising rights and things you weren't allowed to do. <laughs> but at 18, I didn't know that. I was buying these crazy phones back in the day and reselling them like these tech phones from Japan. I was doing, I had a breathalyzer keychain company, which is actually previous to iFlow. Um, that was in 2000, I believe. And it was a very cool company. We're actually bringing it back with THC breathalyzers now, which will have the first THC breathalyzers. I just recently reinvested back into, they're, they're coming back after 10 years of bankruptcy. So yeah, iFlow has always been a constant though. It's because I have to learn internet marketing. I love internet marketing. I love marketing businesses and building brands. So it just makes sense for me. I use iFlow kind of as like my umbrella for everything. 
I know that there are a number of listeners out there who may not be familiar with just at a 101 level what a digital marketing agency does. I think that a lot of people know, you know, an agency is a client service business where you're bringing clients and doing a, a form of consulting for them on their digital strategy. But can you take things to a 101 level on what kind of the day-to-day, week-to-week operations of iFlow looks like? Yeah. So it used to be very different. So we used to say we're a search engine optimization company. Then a little thing called social media happened and it really changed the world in our industry. So back in the day, everyone just cared about where they ranked in Google. Now people care about their brands. So the new process is really building communities around your brand, using each social media's voice to reach the, the targeted client or the way the client wants to absorb data in that channel. So what we do is we analyze clients' uh, businesses, their messaging, their targeted demographics, and we help them reach out to those people through paid and organic advertising. So how to get their brand out to the people they want to get, how to get, how to shorten the sales cycle by building that trust relationship. People don't just want to go and send an email and buy something. They want to know who they're doing business with. They want to know the ethics of the company. They want to know the management, or if it's a smaller company, the, the owners, the CEOs. So what we do is we help kind of mold that image by buying paid advertising, analyzing, doing split testing on calls to actions, writing content to show that they're an educational leader in the space. That's a big thing. And really just making our clients the kind of educational leader and honing their brand through all different social medias. A lot of previous guests, not a lot, a couple of our previous guests have alluded to the fact that the reality of content marketing and producing content as a brand is so essential and is really kind of the modern way of letting people know that you're open for business. There's a lot less people walking the streets wondering if a, a business is open and they're going to you know, go on Google Maps and find out beforehand the place they're going is open or not. But in the digital world, that's kind of how you let people know that you are doing business in the modern world. Are you creating that content for your clients or are you coaching them or teaching them how to go about implementing a content strategy and then letting them kind of take the reins? It's, it's really both ways. So some of our clients, we're educating them, giving them advice, showing them how to do it and training their in-house teams. That's usually the bigger corporations. Um, And then smaller companies, our content writers, our graphic designers, our videographers, we're actually writing that, producing that, and pushing it out there for them. So it really depends on the client. When you're a digital full-service agency, you just have to... Every client that comes in wants something different, or they think they want something different, or they already got something pre-approved. So we have to kind of work around what they're looking for. Um, I love when a client's willing to produce their own content, because it's going to be way better than my content writer um, doing an hour of research and writing a blog post. So we try to work with clients as much as we can, but it's still not as, as important as we know content marketing is. A lot of companies don't understand that. Absolutely. And if it's it's a small business owner and he has a team of five or 10 people, he has other things, he or she has things that they want to prioritize. And that's not always going to take the same precedence and priority that you may want to have them set it up as. Well, it, it's um, a great example that I give when I started this company in 2000. There's no such thing as SEO. There's no really internet marketing. People thought, well, if I have a really good splash flash video before you go to my website, that's going to help me rank in Google. That was literally the mindset when I started this company. And it was a big part of why I wanted to get into this. Uh, now we're dealing with the same thing. You know, and now we all know you don't want to have a video before someone enters your site. And we under- most people understand the basics, at least, of SEO and optimization. But the now we're fighting the same battle with content marketing and social media. People say, well, I don't need Facebook. I don't need Instagram. I don't need Twitter. I, I have, I've never needed it before. And we're trying to explain to people that 
that's what people are using and people are getting less and less away from just picking up the phone and calling. They're now looking at your Facebook page. They're, they are looking at your Instagrams. They will contact you through Twitter instead of an email just to ask a quick question. So getting these companies to kind of stay up to date with what's happening and everything's evolving so quick, it's, it's, I can see the allure of just sticking your head in the sand and saying, well, this isn't for me. Um, but at the end of the day, if you, if you try to do that, you're literally shutting the doors on your business. It also seems like a business where you have to practice what you preach and really be a role model for your clients in the way that you're conducting your business. So in a competitive landscape where there are other digital marketing agencies in town, around the country, how do you think about your competition and if you're competing with someone for an account or just you know finding a different space if, if someone's looking at the options available to them, how do you make iFlow stick out? So I would say nine out of 10 companies are not doing similar things to us. And that's true with every company. And that's what's interesting about our, our industry. Unless you deal with someone who just does media buys, their chances are their whole process and how they treat clients, everything's so different. Where It wasn't like that. Pre-2012, we all pretty much did the same thing. But things have changed a lot since then. So um, what we try to do is we have a lot of great analog stuff, which I don't know if you've seen our brochures. I know we, we can't see on the podcast here, but you know each of our brochures are handmade out of 13 pieces of like a hard cardboard. They're, they open like a pop-up book. They're made in London and shipped in. They're $5 each for a brochure in bulk. Uh, so we try to really give this, show our clients the time and effort we put in everything we do. Everything I do with this company, we don't half-ass it. So... I try to get that across and show people the same thing comes with our social media, which you don't really see in social media. If you're half-assing social media, it's harder to see. But if you get analog materials and, and nice giveaways and nice swag, it really shows people your service and the quality of the service. As the founder and CEO, how much does your personal brand affect the iFlow brand and how do they interact? Because I know, you know, I've been on your show, Pittsburgh Tech Talk. You are maybe either the number one or number two most searched person of all my LinkedIn connections because you do a lot of uh, posting there as well. Is that is that the key consideration or how did those kind of balance each other out? So I used to be behind the scenes a lot. And um, I've realized that I can't do that to stay in this industry. And so just recently, I started building my personal brand. It is, I think it's getting more and more important with people like Gary Vaynerchuk, like Vaynerchuk Media. It's You kind of have to put yourself out there. They want to see the person, not the company. And so I got, I was getting more and more requests. I didn't have that much out there. And the stuff I did have was a little unrelated to business, my whole personal lemonade thing. Um, it was getting harder for people to find anything business related to me, just like my charity stuff. So I think it's extremely important if you're going to get into this world. I think you really have to develop a, a really good brand. And I'm not a big Snapchat guy. I wasn't, I just wasn't an Instagram guy, but that's the way this is going. People want to do business with the person, not the company. Absolutely. And and there is this kind of gap where you, you referenced earlier in this conversation that some people are still hesitant to implement a Facebook strategy or a Twitter strategy. And, you know, Twitter just had their, their 10th anniversary. You know, these are not brand new companies by any stretch of the imagination. And on the other end of the spectrum, you're talking about something like Snapchat, which is, you know, growing very rapidly. We've had previous episodes where we've discussed it, but it is by no means ubiquitous. It's not something, it's not, my mom doesn't have a Snapchat account. Um, how do you manage learning these new platforms and and keeping yourself close to the cutting edge while also dealing with people who maybe 
one, three, five years behind where your eyes are kind of set? So it's tough. I'm 34 years old. So it's, um, which is an, a dinosaur in this industry. Uh, so what I do is I hire young. So our most recent hire for social media is 20 years old. Super cool, ambitious kid, great guy. He's helping us direct. We have a new consultant that we're getting on board who's 18 years old, who's amazing, just dropped out of college, super ambitious, started his own entrepreneurial club down in DC, and we're hiring him as a consultant just because I love his mindset and where he's thinking. So I look a lot to the youth. Um, I have to kind of identify that I bring something to the table as having 15 years in business and starting companies and doing all this investing. So I have a unique view and I definitely have a wheelhouse, but my wheelhouse is not keeping up with how to utilize Snapchat contests and how to, how to cross channel these, these programs. And so by the more that I've got older, the more I realize I have to keep this young blood in and I have to hear their opinions and take it with a grain of salt. But at the same time, I would say I just hang around young guys. And that's where I get a lot of my inspiration. I love the ambition. I love their ideas. It's usually something that no one's ever thought before. Um, and they're just, they're throwing spaghetti against the wall, coming up with concepts. And for me, I can, you know, parse through that spaghetti and try to find the best noodle. Gotcha. You like, you like that? Uh, I like that analogy. I <laughs> yeah. like it. want to maybe shift lanes a little bit here. It sounds like this is a lot of fun, a uh, uh, place that people definitely need to be checking out, but you also have your hands in these other ventures. We mentioned Pittsburgh Tech Talk. You do some real estate development. You have these other different side hustles. There's the, uh, you can describe the, the wood veneer products that you're producing now in a little bit better detail, but how do you recognize these opportunities for these other businesses that you're running outside of iFlow? And how do you go about managing your time? Because you're, you're running a company and then also spinning off these other brands, spinning off these other companies as well. I'd imagine partnerships are very important, but can you just elaborate a little bit more on that process? Well, I definitely have what's called big eye syndrome, which is I bite off way more than I can chew. And I think at this point more in my life, at this point, I've noticed it more than ever as I'm getting older. I've taken, I keep thinking, well, you know what? Through sheer determination, I can just do everything. And I can, I like this idea of this company. I'm just going to come in and buy a piece of it or buy half of it and, and try to put it through the roof. And I'm realizing that's getting harder. And as I get older, I don't want to work 18 hour days and just uh, hustle and grind. So partnerships are extremely important. But also, I'm not married. I don't have kids. So, you know, this is my life. People think that I live this amazing life. They see me traveling the world. They see me doing all kind of cool stuff. But it's because I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't answer to anyone. And there's, you know, pros and cons to that. But you have to realize you can't have everything. If you want to do what I do, look at your kid and say, well, you know what? Um, that's something that's I, I, I wish you were never born so I could go to Japan and shoot a three-day TV pilot. Y you have to realize that Everything's a give and take. And for me, it's business, business, business. There's nothing else in my life other than the hustle, the grind, building businesses, investing in companies. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's I'm happy where I am in my life. But that's something I think a lot of people uh, take for granted is they think that you can just do what I do by spending an extra hour at work or maybe working the occasional Saturday morning. And that's just not true. I work 24 hours a day. I was up until 2 a.m. answering emails last night. So you know, it's, it's definitely a hustle. It's definitely a grind and just have to recognize how hard it is and respect it. That's a fascinating perspective to me. I'm, I'm curious to unpack that a little bit more. Do you feel like that was a choice or do you feel like that is just where 
the momentum of your life and just kind of the natural, I don't know how you want to describe it, but do you feel like there was a choice where you said at one point, all right, I'm pushing my chips in on building businesses, this being my primary passion, or is it just kind of how things ended up? Just how things ended up. I never made a conscious decision. Um, I definitely could have, you know, if the right person came along, I definitely could have went that route. But for me, it just never happened. I live in the moment. I'm a, a boat without a rudder. Like if the wind goes in one direction, I just head in that direction. I'm very, very in the moment type of person. With the wooden company you mentioned, they came in looking for marketing and walked out. I bought half their company. <laughs> so um, and when I was in Costa Rica, I was down there for two weeks visiting friends, ended up buying a beach bed and breakfast um, and remodeling the whole thing. Uh, 4,800 square feet commune, half an acre on a whim. Literally, within a, this decision was made in 24 hours to not come home and build up this bed and breakfast and run it out. So um, I think for me, I just maybe it's I'm selfish. I don't know. I think about things that keep me interested and, and make me excited. And if a person could do that, great. But right now, that just really hasn't happened. So for me, it's the business and starting companies and working with young entrepreneurs and just even hanging the, the circles, I think, is what I really like. Absolutely. And and Pittsburgh is a, a kind of fun happening place. It's really a city on the rise. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago in New York and, you know, I've go different places. I say I'm from Pittsburgh and, you know, either people don't know what that is because I'm out of the country and they're like, they know New York, Boston and LA, or they just say, oh, Pittsburgh, you know, Midwest, whatever. But it was really interesting. I told a couple of people about Pittsburgh and their eyes lit up like, oh, that's, that's the new city on the rise. That there's uh, some cool stuff going on there. Why is that happening? They wanted to learn about that and unpack a little bit more. And, you know, talk about there being Carnegie Mellon and, you know, some, some other cool things happening in the tech space. But I'm curious to hear your opinion on why you see Pittsburgh thriving the way it is. I mean, you started a show called Pittsburgh Tech Talk to be in touch with this community and showcase it to the world. Why is that something that you think is kind of starting to have its moment? And what else attributes to that? So yeah, Pittsburgh is definitely on the come up. I mean, as I, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm in a lot of groups and people are way more than 10 years ago, let's say that, even way more than five years ago, people are, are understanding that Pittsburgh has some big things coming up. That's one of the reasons I wanted to start Pittsburgh Tech Talk is to, to widen our radius so people could see what's happening in the region and from every level. I mean, we've interviewed and then the next week the may I interviewed the mayor, we've interviewed um huge VCs. So we try to show what's happening in Pittsburgh from every angle, but I think the entrepreneur and hustle and grind is huge right now in Pittsburgh. Um, what's that driving force? It's hard to say. I think Peduto is really helping though. He's a super tech-friendly guy. He's really, I think the old establishment, the old Pittsburgh government was uh, a little stuffy and they were very conservative, even though they were Democrat. And I, I really think this new, I think Peduto's crew is, has been a really good influence on us just hanging out with him and, and hearing his theories on things. And I think it's just, it's a small enough city where everybody knows each other. I mean, if anyone wants to get hold of anyone, it's a phone call and it's not an issue. It's not, there's no gatekeepers. There's no competition. Um, you talk to someone and everyone's instantly, well, how can I help you? Let me connect you to this person. And it's almost overwhelming because it's just connections nonstop, which I've never seen that in other cities. Other cities, I feel like, um, and I know the people that are in those cities as well, feel like 
it's more of a competition opposed to a collaborative. And I feel like Pittsburgh as a whole, we kind of undervalue ourselves because of when we leave and people think we're this Detroit, like rusted out, which Detroit's awesome, by the way. I don't want to say anything bad about Detroit, but they, you know, that's not what Pittsburgh is right now. We totally reinvented ourselves as a tech bank medical hub. And so I think it's, um, I think we, we have a little bit of, a lot of us have pride in the city, which a lot of cities just don't have that. Yeah, I think that community in general can almost be like an underrated asset. Like it's something we take for granted if you're from Pittsburgh, you grew up here, you you take for granted the fact that everyone's, you know, at most two degrees of separation apart. You know, they talk about six degrees of separation. You're one call from one call to meeting just about anyone in the city, which is really, really cool. And it's something that I've seen throughout producing this show, talking with different influencers in Pittsburgh, you know, reiterating that exact same point where I could probably name half the people in the show and you'd be like, yep, know him, yep, know him, yep, know her. So that is that is something that's really cool. If you were giving advice, you've talked about hiring some of these young guys and girls into your company. If you were giving advice to someone who is young and looking to tap into a network such as Pittsburgh's and meet the movers and shakers and find these influencers and, and absorb some of their knowledge. How would you go about doing that if you were just getting started off again? I would offer something of value to these people. Realize that their time is valuable. I get emails almost every day with people who want to talk, people have advice, want advice, people that want to want an introduction. I'm actually shooting a quick video called More More Baking, Less Begging, where my theory is if you want to get If you want to get in someone who you feel successful, you want advice or whatever you want from them, go on Amazon Prime, spend $2 on a bag of cookies and 20 minutes of your time and bake them cookies, send them and then ask. Go a little bit above and beyond because people get quite, I get people that are in the public eye a little bit just are constantly bombarded with, I need a donation. I need this. I need that. I need this. And they, they seem minuscule and micro, but it becomes almost overwhelming and it jades you a little bit where every time you see an email and you read the first line, you can tell where it's going. You just kind of like, okay, I'll try to get back to them, but it back burners. But if I had fresh baked cookies sent to my office and I ate them, I guarantee you I'll return that message probably within that day. And I think it's almost like a psychological life hack that you're going to do. There's going to be a win-win. You're going to be able to give them the, you're going to a little bit of their humanity back because you're showing them the good, good in people, but also they'll actually get back to you. You know, you may think it's a little thing because you just need advice and you just want to ping the person. But you have to realize that person, just like us trying to organize this podcast, you know, people are busy when, when you're in the hustle and you're in the grind mode make yourself stick out and you can relate that to anything business and personal. If you're trying to get a girl on Tinder or if you're trying to get advice, um, do something that separates you from the crowd, be creative, be, be out there. And I think that's like my marketing mindset is that how can I get myself out there and how can I separate myself from the competition? Absolutely. And I think it's also a degree of empathy where you, you talked about how, you know, to the person sending you that one little email, it's like, well, it's just one little email, it's just one small thing. But lacking the empathy of realizing you were getting multiple emails like that per day. And if you were to say yes to all of them, you're not going to have a business anymore because you'd just be a guy who takes coffee dates professionally. So having that empathy and finding a way to just slightly stick out. You don't have to build someone a you know a skyscraper. Just do something that separates you from the herd and people will take notice for sure. I think that's great advice. Uh, yes, a bag of oatmeal raisin cookies on Amazon was like $2.16 shipped on Prime. Yeah. And it says 20 minutes. If that's <laughs> if your question is not worth $2 and 20 minutes of your spare time, then you should not be asking that question. You should not be asking that favor. And I don't care how minuscule it is, 
People say, well, it's just a quick question. Well, you know what? It's just $2. So, and that's just one example, but you can do anything just to try to provide value. Um, or if you're young and you're hustling, I've had people like the person I hired said, how can I help you? I don't need paid. I just want to learn what you do. I want to jump into this business. And with a matter of two weeks, I hired him. So he did come in and work for two weeks. And I said, wow, I, I need to get this guy on board here. I, he's not just someone asking for advice. He's an asset that I can use. Same with this, with the 18 year old kid down in DC. There's all these people that are just amazing and they like, I get pumped and I get excited talking to them, but you, to get in that front door, they have to offer something of value. I feel. And the only thing they really have the value is their time or cookies, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully we have a couple listeners send you cookies here all in right, the future. I'm hoping. I want to start wrapping up here. I want to be respectful of your time, Phil. Before we tell people how to connect with you in the digital world and you issue a personal challenge to the audience, I want to make sure there just isn't anything that I didn't give you a chance to say. No, I think I think we're pretty uh, I think we're pretty good. I think we went over a lot of stuff, covered a lot of ground here. Cool. So, if people want to learn more about you, learn more about iFlow, uh, where would you direct them in the digital world to learn more? So, professionally, I would say LinkedIn. I even LinkedIn, I think, is such an untapped resource. You brought it up earlier. Um, I probably have over four hundred. Uh, LinkedIn messages right now. Um, it's one of the best prospecting tools and it is the most neglected social media tool. And I, I was guilty of this too until about six months ago. And I really changed my whole my whole style on how I treat LinkedIn. And I think anyone not utilizing LinkedIn to its fullest ability, reading marketing books. And if you're in business and you want to hustle and you want to grind, LinkedIn and Twitter are going to be your two two biggies. I personally am not a big Twitter guy just because I've, I've learned LinkedIn so well, uh, how to market and how to build on that. But um, yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, LinkedIn is, is always good. My Facebook, Phil Laboon. Everything's just my name, so it's pretty easy to find me. As always, that will be linked to in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com. Best place to find the show notes for this and every episode of the show. Uh, you touch on something really interesting there that I want to maybe just touch on really quickly. You said that you've learned LinkedIn, and so that's where you're putting more of your attention. There is some you know, calculation of you know, where the people, where the eyeballs, where's the attention. But I think it's also really important to learn that if you are really good on a certain platform, if whatever your formula you're putting in is working, to double down on that. I think a mistake some people make is they try to be everywhere and end up having no real value add on any of the social platforms that they're working on. And if you're finding a place that you are resonating with people, that people are, you know, finding you and having valuable interactions with your content or your conversations, that's a really important thing to recognize. 100%. And I think the biggest misconception that people have, and hopefully people have stayed long enough and this is a longer interview, so hopefully people get to hear this little nugget. There's not just one social media. What's happening is, is there's more social media medias popping up. They're taking over their own little personas, their own little channels. So you need to really look at how to market each channel and find what, what we're just you naturally fit in. And it's impossible to keep up with everything. I'm As an individual especially, there's no way you could be on every single social media and the other big misconception people have is that there's like, oh, okay, like I hear this from clients all the time. Oh, Facebook's dead, right? Oh, Twitter's dead, right? Um, it, the new thing, Snapchat, right? And I'm like, no, 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 they all have their place. It's not like there's one or the other. They're just carving out little niches and people are moving kind of like it's branching out and people are making each social media is kind of building its own presence. But that's not to say just because Snapchat's blowing up that Facebook is useless. I love Facebook. I use Facebook advertising. I just wouldn't advertise the same way on Facebook as I would on my Snapchat. So um, I think the big misconception is don't think that you have to find the golden social media because there isn't one. It's just how you're using that social media and how, which one you feel most comfortable with. 
Such a good point. Definitely going to be uh, a value add there for listeners. But I want to thank you for uh, finally allowing me to interview you for the oh, podcast. You, it's been awesome. I've learned a lot. And I want to give you the mic one last time so that you can issue your personal challenge for the audience. So I guess my personal challenge, just to get back to the um, reaching out uh, aspect, I would challenge everybody. Think of the biggest name you can think of, someone you really want to get a hold of, and think of a clever way to get in front of them. Something that's going to take us a little bit of time, maybe limit it $5 to your budget and, and your time. Make something, send something, do something that really sets yourself apart and reach out to, we'll say, five people that you always wanted to get a hold of and see if I bet you they respond. I would bet out of those five people, at least if you send cookies, you send a, a popsicle cabin with nail polish doors, you know, like a, like a little kid or a picture frame with macaroni and cheese on it uh, with their name, you're going to get a response out of, I, I bet you 20%. And I think that what that'll do is open your eyes that there isn't this door. I think we put people on pedestals in our society, especially celebrities or anyone that has a, a social presence. And it's really easy to get in. It's just not easy by just doing what everybody else is doing. So I would love people to recognize that setting yourself apart when you're trying to reach out to these big names is it's just the key to success in anything is separating yourself and getting that attention. So that's, that's my challenge. Fantastic. I absolutely love it and really encourage everyone out there to take Phil's challenge and to check him out on LinkedIn and all the other social medias. All right. Thanks, Aaron. We just went deep with Phil Laboon. Hope everyone out there has a great day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you have not already done so. And if you enjoyed today's episode and you want to learn a little bit more about the show, check out some other episodes. I'd actually like to direct you to one of our earliest episodes, number 12, with Scott Rogerson of Community Elf. Now, Scott is also partially in the internet marketing space, but has a very interesting and unique story, how he came to be the CEO of Community Elf and some of the experiences that he's taken a lot of wisdom from. So that's a a little bit older, a little bit longer episode, but I think that's a good place to direct you. I'm sure you'll check out some of the other recent episodes But that is when we're really just kind of getting the show started. And uh, I think it'll give you a little bit of insight into how this show has grown over the past few months. Thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you next time.